are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to gather with you this morning virtually as we were able to worship through song, and now we are coming to a time to open up God's word for the preaching of his word. So I'm grateful to be able to do that with you this morning. You know, there are times in life where I would guess all of us, we have a plan in place. We have a plan in place for the day ahead, the week ahead, the month ahead, that we end up having to change. We're forced to change because of circumstances that are outside of our control. Obviously, all of us have experienced that over these last three months or so. But there are other times in life where we end up changing our plans, not because we're forced to change them, but because we need to. And today is one of those days. We were supposed to jump back into our Seeing Jesus sermon series this morning as we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. We were going to begin John chapter 8 this morning, uh, but we're not going to do that today. And the reason we're not going to do that today is because there's something else we need to talk about. I sent the church an email a little over a week ago and talked about the fact that there's still a problem that exists within our country, and that's the problem of racism. And this isn't new information for us. It isn't something that just we became aware of in the death of George Floyd. No, racism has been present in our country before it even officially began. For over 400 years, racism has been present, and it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. Racism is rooted in a belief. It's rooted in a belief that some people are superior or inferior uh, based off the color of their skin or their ethnic heritage. And that belief, though it's rooted in the heart of a human being, manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. Racism in any form, in any form, is sinful. It's sinful because it disregards the inherent value and beauty that all men and all women are created in the image of God by God. And that in and of itself is beautiful and glorious and good. Now, you may be thinking, as I begin talking about the fact that we're going to preach on and talk about racism today in our sermon, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not racist, though. Uh, Like, I, I I don't feel negatively or look down on people because of the color of their skin. So maybe this is good for somebody else, but I don't really need to pay much attention to it this morning. And while I hope that's the case that you don't have overt racism in the way you think and the way that you live and the way you behave, I don't want you to tune out this morning because all of us have to recognize the fact that racism is ingrained in our culture. It's infiltrated our culture. It's influenced our culture. It's infected our culture and the systems that we all live in and are a part of. So while overt racism, I hope, is not a part of your life, and it is, let me just go ahead and say, now please, please, for the sake of your own soul, repent. Even if it's not overtly a part of your life, it can be challenging at times to recognize the subtle forms that racism can take and how it can manifest in our lives and how it might exist in our thinking and even in our actions. So even if you're not overtly racist, one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest issues that are going on right now is there recognition that there's a lot of complacency. There's a lot of complacency towards racism and racial injustice. And wherever there's complacency towards it, there's complicity in it. So that's why we need to talk about this this morning. 
In fact, that's a bulk of what Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail is about. If you've never read that, let me encourage you to go ahead and write down on your notes right now or, or make a note in your phone, a reminder in your phone to go read that sometime this week as he highlights much of what we're going to talk about this morning. Complacency towards racism has and is continuing to cause damage. Damage to our culture, damage to our world, damage to our, our neighbors and our friends who have darker complexions than maybe we do. And a lot of us are blind to it. So we need our eyes to be opened. We need our, our minds to be awakened. We need our hearts to be enlivened. Because, because we have to understand this, racism is not only a sin to be repented of, racism is also a matter of justice. Because whenever racism is present, justice is perverted or, or altogether absent. Absent. Justice and equality are, are not made-up social constructs. No, justice and equality are biblical constructs given to us, created for us by our Creator King and God, which means that racism and issues of justice are not uh, social issues only. They're not political issues. They are biblical issues and kingdom issues. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in Christ and are seeking to follow him and walk in obedience towards him, living a life of worship, then your identity is rooted in Christ and you are no longer a citizen of this world, but a citizen of the kingdom of God. But while this place is not our home, we still find ourselves here. And this means that all of us have to continually learn how to live our lives as disciples of Jesus in the midst of a messy world, a broken world that we find ourselves in until Jesus comes again or calls us home. And as followers of Christ, we are not ever called to kind of uh, live in a way or hole up ourselves in a compound or the corner of our homes, abiding, abiding time, kind of just waiting things out until Jesus comes again. No, Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world, to walk and to live in such a way to be representatives of the kingdom of God, to, to be and shine light into the midst of the darkness that we find ourselves in. And one of the ways that we are able to do that, one of the ways that we are called to do that is to not only repent of racial injustices, but to fight for racial justice in our community and in our country. And this is obviously a challenging time for our country, but, but I think good can come from it, come from it, good that leads to change. And you and I need to hear from God this morning. We need to hear God through the illumination of his word in our life and allow him to direct our paths, allow him to direct our actions as individuals and as a community. Something has to change. Something has to change in our country. And as God's people, we need to be leading out in that change. So that means that all of us, especially if you are a part of the majority culture in this country, all of us have something to learn today. All of us have something to learn in the days ahead, and all of us have something to do now. As I was thinking about a text to preach this week and where to go in Scripture uh, that addresses issues of justice, I was reminded that, that the Bible talks a whole lot about justice. But I decided to go back to, to maybe a familiar text to some of you because it, it is a simple yet comprehensive in what it talks about. It, it, it just paints this picture of how we can love God and love others as we live life along the way. But regardless of your familiarity with this text, my hope is, is that God will use it to awaken you. Awaken you in some way. 
awaken you to not only impact your thinking, but transform the way that you speak and what you do to the glory of God and for the good of others, for the good of our neighbor, neighbors. Now, I am, I am not an expert on issues of racial justice. I'm not an expert. And, and to be honest, I sometimes feel kind of unqualified to speak about this, but I know that I must, that God wants me to speak on this for your sake, for my sake, for the sake of our community around us. And so I'm going to trust God in that. And I'm trying to lean into this. And I hope you will too. So let's go ahead and pray. Let's just pray that God would help us to hear from him this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning and we pray, God, that you would give us help. God, would you open up our hearts and our minds? Would you help us to just be willing to learn and willing to listen this morning? And God, I pray that as we open up your word, I pray that you would change the way that we think, that you would change the way that we live so that you could use us to bring about change in the community around us. So God, we submit this time to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower me as I preach now and that you would allow our church to be unified together to bring about real change and real justice in the community around us. May you be honored today, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6 this morning. Micah is one of the uh, short books at the end of the Old Testament, so feel free to go to your table of contents. It's not very long. It can be easy to breeze past, but go to your table of contents contents and find Micah chapter 6. It's, it's tucked right in between the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum. Now I want to focus our time in on verse 8 this morning. Uh, and so you can go ahead and open up to Micah chapter 6, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 just to give us a bit of context about what's going on here. This is what Micah writes. This is God's word to you this morning. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. What happened at Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In verse 8, Micah, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, he, he makes a statement that isn't only relevant and important for God's people then, but it's relevant and important for God's people now, do you want to know what is good? Well, God has told you what is good. He has told you what he asks of you. He has called you and how he's called you to live. And it's this, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. I want to focus in on that. But before we get to what all of those things exactly mean, I want us to ask a question because I think it presses in on the seriousness of what Micah is saying here to God's people to then and now, 
Why does he say this? What, what problem is he addressing? See, God's people had been rebelling against God. They had chosen to reject God and, and sought to worship other things and to kind of live life the way that they wanted to live. But the complexity of their rebellion is they didn't, in their rejection of God, they didn't totally walk away from worshiping God. They kind of tried to do a little bit of both. Worship God over here and then live life the way I want to over here and, and worship other false gods. It was a syncretistic way of worshiping. And so God sends Micah as a messenger and he brings this message of judgment and rebuke and correction and even hope for God's people. And it's a message we need to hear today because we too can be easily taken in by our culture. What our culture finds important, what our culture worships, what it pays attention to, and what it doesn't pay attention to. And in these first few verses of chapter 6, we see God says, I'm indicting my people, I'm indicting you for wandering away from me. He reminds them in verses 4 through 5 who he is and, and what he's done for his people, that God is a rescuer and a restorer, a healer and a provider, that he's faithful and gracious and merciful and kind to them. This is our God. This is who he is and what he's done for his people. So God isn't heaping religious duty on his people. He isn't heaping burden on them. But the temptation of the people is to respond not in repentance to what God is calling them to and what God's asking of them and what he's showing them, what it looks like to live in a particular way. Their temptation is to respond with more outward spirituality. It's what we see happen in verses 6 and 7. God indicts his people for walking away from him, for seeking joy in other people and things besides them. But it's almost as if they're tempted to think, oh, we're really sorry. Let us do more religious duties, more outward actions of religiosity to please you, God. They think that they can maybe do more religious things in order to bring something about and please God in that way. The people's temptation and their response misses the whole point of who God is and what he's done and what he calls them to. See, it's so similar to the Pharisees in Jesus's day that we've been learning about in the Gospel of John. A group of religious leaders that instead of walking in repentance and listening to the words of Jesus, they sought to, to continue to walk in disobedience, but to dress up their disobedience, to dress up their hard hearts with more religious rhetoric and action, and not actually listen to what God was calling them to, and to walk with him and live before him in a way that was pleasing. The reality is, you and I can be tempted to do the same thing. As I was reading this text once again, it's just, it's startling to me that the words that God says through Micah to his people here could be spoken to much of the American church today. And sure, we aren't worshiping statues, but we're often tempted to live syncretistic lives. Lives where we worship God with our mouths, maybe on certain days of the week, but our actions, the way we live, often show that we are very much a part of our culture, both the good and the bad. Worship in our life, what we give worth to, ascribe worth and value to, always leads us to action. It, it will influence how we view the world, how we engage the world, what we think about and what we do. And the reality is that syncretistic worship of the American church has often led it to be complacent and complicit towards issues of racial injustice and silent on opportunities to fight for racial justice. Which brings us back to verse 8. Let me read it again. Micah says this, 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. See, God's response to their pursuit of this kind of personal piety is, I don't want more sacrifice from you. I want you to live a transformed life. A life that overflows in good works because of the good and gracious work I've done in your life for you. As the author of Proverbs says in Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And the same thing is true today. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He rescues and redeems. Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience before the Father, something that you and I can't do. Then he went to a cross and he was crucified on that cross where God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus, not for Jesus's sin, but for your sin and for my sin so that we can be forgiven of it and set free from the penalty and the condemnation that we deserve. And then Jesus rose again on the third day to definitively declare that it is in fact finished and that real forgiveness and real freedom are actually possible if we place our faith in Jesus and him alone. And so when Jesus invades your life, everything changes for you. He doesn't just save you and then kind of let you continue to do whatever you want to do. That's syncretism. No, he saves you and he gives you a new heart and he transforms the way you live and he calls you to walk in obedience to him. And it's out of that changed and changing life that Jesus calls you to live for his glory. It's out of that changed and changing life that Jesus calls you to live for the good of others, to walk in obedience now. See, we aren't saved by our actions. The scriptures are very clear about that. But our salvation in our transformed life, it leads us to action. It leads to following in the ways of our king. That's what we are saved for. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are saved by grace, not by our works. But because we are saved, God has saved us to do good works, good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We could go to places like Titus chapter 2, where Titus, where Timothy tells, um, excuse me, Paul tells Titus that, that we celebrate the gospel, that grace has been given to us, that Jesus has come. And as we wait for Jesus to come again, he has purified us, his people, to be his own possession. At the end of this verse, Titus 2.14, who are zealous for good works, that God's people who have been transformed by the gospel are called to be zealous for good works. All of these texts, along with Micah 6, 8, make it clear to us. Our good works, listen to me here, our good works are not add-ons to the gospel. They are motivated by the gospel. Whereas James writes and succinctly puts, faith without works is dead. And so while we wait for Jesus to come again, we don't sit on our hands. No, we get to work. And verse 8 is telling us what that looks like. What does God care about? Not religious duty, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. So what do those things actually mean? You know, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of talk about justice these last few days and weeks, and that is a very good thing. But what does the Bible say about justice? What does the Bible mean by justice? The word translated justice here in this text and throughout the Bible means more than legal legal equity. It certainly includes that, but it means more than legal equity. Biblical justice is very much tied to biblical peace or the Hebrew word shalom, 
which is more than just the absence of conflict. It means harmony and wholeness and fullness and completeness. It's what we lost when we rebelled against God, and it's what God will restore when Jesus comes again and brings about the new heavens and the new earth. And as has been stated widely and loudly, and it is very true, when there is no justice, there is no peace. When there is no justice, there is and cannot be any peace. And so when Micah calls us to do justice, what he's calling us to is to the fair use of power. The fair use of power from the individual level to the level of the judiciary to the level of the governing authorities. It's a call of just treatment towards others or, or right treatment towards others that's rooted in love and rooted in the belief that all men and women are created equal. All men and women are created in the image of God and therefore are inherently valuable. Now, Micah 6.8, when it talks about doing justice, doesn't speak specifically to doing racial justice, but it certainly includes that when we think about the idea of what biblical justice is. But as one pastor puts it, Micah doesn't just say here, it doesn't say at all, talk about justice. He doesn't say, go tell others to do justice. No, he is calling us to do the just thing ourselves. So what's the implication of this for God's people? What this means is this, wherever there is injustice in the midst of a fallen world, wherever we look around and we see injustice around us, God's covenant people, as his people who once were enslaved to our sin but have been rescued, we are called to seek to bring about justice, to bring kingdom renewal and kingdom restoration and kingdom realities here and now. It reminds me of what Jesus calls us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, where we can pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May you be revered. May you be worshiped. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. We want to see those things, the realities of what you believe, God, and who you are and what's true of you to be lived out here among us. As I mentioned in another email to you this week, talking about preparing for Sunday and your own study of the Bible, is that the Bible uses the word justice about as many times as it uses the word grace. And so it makes sense then that what God require of his covenant people is to be people who do justice. But listen to me. If you are about grace as a follower of Jesus, but not about justice, then you're living inconsistent with the scripture says. That's an unbiblical way to think, to be about grace, but not be about justice. See, to do justice is to have an instinct for justice. What this means then for God's people resting in the grace of the gospel is that we are quick and able to recognize injustices and long for change for the sake of our neighbor, for the sake of our community, and ultimately to the glory of God. And we're willing to work to bring that about. So let me ask you, is that you? Do you have an instinct towards justice? If not, that's what I want for you. And I believe that's what God wants for you too. And Micah also calls us to love kindness. Some English versions say love mercy. And this is the same kind of love and mercy that God has shown you, that he's given to you. That when you, when you were enslaved to your sin, God broke your bonds of sin and set you free. When you were alone in this world, God 
came to you to dwell among you when you were existing in darkness. God shined his redeeming light into your life and brought about change and transformation. This kind of love and mercy is a, is a love and mercy that can't be overcome. It can't be quenched. It can't be extinguished or removed. And it's not temporary. It's a love that we've received. Now, because we've received it, we're called to show anyone and everyone that same kind of love and mercy. To love kindness in that way and to show kindness to those around us, no matter what they look like. And lastly, Micah calls us to walk humbly with our God. Walking humbly with God has the idea that we are living life before him, recognizing him as the king of our life, recognizing him as the ruler of our life, and seeking to walk in the ways in which he would call us to walk. Not going our own way, like the people were in their syncretistic lives, saying, God, I want a little bit of you over here, but I want to live my life the way I want to live over here. No, it's seeing our lives aligned with the way that God would call us to live. Some people have actually said that Micah 6, 8 really summarizes all of the law and the prophets. And King Jesus would agree. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus summarized all of God's commands in two phrases, love God and love others. That is what God requires of you. That's what he requires of you. And it is possible to do that only because of what God has done for you in Christ, rescuing you and redeeming you. See, we need to understand something here. None of these things can earn anything for you from God. No, what Mike is saying here, what we need to understand, even as we look at our world today, is that this is the natural outflow and overflow of a life of pe- for people who have been changed by God, whose God, who's God has written his law on our hearts. Our gracious salvation in Christ, it leads to transformation, that leads to obedience. In this case, simply and succinctly to love God and love others because he first loved us. And so let me ask you, how are you as a follower of Jesus striving right now to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Out, how are you striving to live those things out in your own life and in community? This past two weeks have been challenging for our country. And my guess is that some of you or maybe some of your friends have been wondering, why are we seeing this reaction this time? The death of George Floyd is significant. It's significant because he is an image bearer of God who was killed by police officers while in their custody for no reason. But what we're seeing in our country right now is that the death of George Floyd, as one writer put it, ignited tinder piled up by centuries of systemic racism in America, strained and broken relations between police and the black community and economic disparity. See, we need to understand and acknowledge something. Racism did not end when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed. No, racism is alive and well today, which means that injustice is right in front of all of us. Now, it is horrible and wrong that property is being destroyed by a mixed group of people with mixed motives, but the marginalization and the oppression and the killing of black and brown men and women must stop. It must stop. This is such an enormous and at times overwhelming issue for us to address. address. And, and as I was thinking about it this week and praying about it this week, I feel like there's 
so much to say. There are hours and hours and hours worth of conversations that we could have, discussions that we have, and we should have about these things. But I also remembered something that I'm not called to pastor everyone and I'm not called to fix this right now in one sermon, but I am called to pastor you. And so what I want to share with you next by way of application is for you, Sojourn Church, for some of you to continue doing and for hopefully for some of you to begin to do. Listen, we exist in a, in a predominantly white church in an affluent area, an affluent area. And we can ignore all of this, all of the racial injustice that we see around us right now. We could ignore all of it if we wanted to, if we choose to. We have the ability to disregard it and, and have, it have little effect on our lives. That's just a truth, and that is a privilege that we have. Now, privilege is not a statement of value, uh, an assessment of character even. It's just a reality. Like, let me give you the example. If you have the ability to choose what grocery store you want to go to or to choose where you're going to order takeout from tonight, that's a privilege that you have. Because not everyone in the world has that opportunity to pick and choose different things and have different options. If you're able to ignore racial injustice and it doesn't affect your life, if you don't do anything about it, that's a privilege that you have. A privilege that our black and brown neighbors don't have. Now, if you don't agree with me on that, I would love to speak with you about that. So shoot me a note. Like, let's get together and talk more about it. It's a privilege that many of us could ignore, but if we ignore it, it's also disobedience because God clearly calls us to do justice and advance the ethics of his kingdom. But I also know, and I really do believe that God's doing something in our midst right now. I believe that God is likely waking some of you up to a reality that maybe you haven't acknowledged in the midst of your life, that your experience as a majority culture person is different then and now are not equal to your, the minority culture neighbors that are around you. And maybe this week or the last two weeks, in a sign of solidarity, and solidarity is very important. It's a good thing to do. But in a sign of solidarity, you've posted a few things on social media. And that's, that's good. That's right to do. But I don't want it to just stop there. I don't want that to be the all that you do. I want to call us all to more. I want to call us to do justice so that change might actually take place. See, issues of, of social justice or racial justice, they really shouldn't be controversial in the church because true justice is informed by the kingdom of God and who our king is and what our king says. And we can go about all the way back to Isaiah chapter 42 and see that Isaiah the prophet prophesied that when the Messiah would come, he would come to bring justice to the nations. And in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he tells us, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers. See, Jesus is our only hope for true and lasting justice. This Messiah, our Messiah, when he comes again, he will come to make all things new. He will come and there'll be the fullness of forgiveness and restoration of all things, but also the establishment of justice throughout all of the earth. But until that day, as sojourners and exiles, he doesn't say, just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Of course we should preach the gospel. We know that's the only way for someone to be saved, the only way for someone to be reconciled to God. Of course we should preach the gospel, but we aren't called just to preach the gospel. No, we, call, we are called to do justice, which is an implication of the gospel 
that we say we believe. Now, we can make talking about racial justice a matter of politics or posturing, or, or and what I want to invite us to is we can listen to what our king calls us to do. If you are in the majority culture, like, like I am, you don't always know what to do. I don't always know what to do. But hear me on this. Our silence is deafening. Our silence on issues of racial injustice is deafening. And so I want to call us to action. I want to call us to three specific actions today for all of us that I think are accessible to us that we can begin to do, to take steps in, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. And today really is the start of what I hope is an ongoing conversation, even just within the community of Sojourn Church, an ongoing and needed conversation. May it truly be the beginning of something new. So here's the first thing I want to call us to as we're seeking to live this out in our life. The first thing I want to call us to is to listen and learn. Listen and learn. My perception in, a, in our church, as I look around at our church and think about interactions and conversations that we've had over the years, is that our church generally, if not all of us, are, are anti-racist, we're pro-justice. We can look around at our community right now and see the fact that there are problems within our culture when it comes to racism and issues of racial justice, that there's a need for change. But my sense is, my sense is, is that most of us, or at least a lot of us, are moderately to significantly, moderately to significantly uninformed on why we are where we are as a country when it comes to this issue. Now, I don't mean that as an insult in any way. I'm just stating a reality. You, you don't know what you don't know. Our country's history is littered with systemic oppression. Our country's history is littered with systemic injustice and racism and racialized violence. So let me ask you, do you know about those things? If I say to you, or when I say things like 1619, or the Three-Fifths Compromise, or Juneteenth, or the Tulsa Massacre, or the Great Migration, or sharecropping, if I say phrases like redlining, or predatory lending, the war on drugs, Jim Crow laws, the old ones and the new ones, do you feel like you know what those things are and how they have and are currently affecting our culture, our society, and our neighbors? If you don't, that's okay. Often we weren't taught these things in our schools, but let's not stay in a place of not knowing. Seek to learn. Seek to understand the history of these things that have taken place in our country. See, because if we don't know why we are where we are right now, then no real change will take place. No real change will take place in the systems that are contributing to the problems of racial injustice. No real justice will be done. But let me also encourage you not just to learn history. That's very important. But don't just learn history to begin to take steps to doing justice. Listen and learn from people of color. Here's a brief list, a brief list of a few writers and pastors, professors, and influencers that I encourage you to, to look up, read their books, read their blogs, uh, follow them on social media. People like Eric Mason, Charlie Dates, Amisha Baraka, Justin Gibney, Christina Edmondson, Jackie Hill Perry, Thabiti Anuwable, Jamar Tisby, Brian Stevenson, Dahadi Lewis, Sung Chan Ra, 
follow those people. They're saying a lot of good things right now that we need to listen to and we need to learn from. Now, you can also, and I would encourage you to certainly talk with your black and brown friends and coworkers and neighbors, but let me caution you. Many of those friends of yours, they're exhausted. They're exhausted from all that's going on. So let me encourage you, don't put the burden on them to enlighten you about all that's going on. Get to work on your own. Do some work on your own. As a church, I want to invite you to do something very practical. There's a few of us that are going to get together to begin to read this book. It's called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. And we're going to read this book together and to discuss it with one another over the coming weeks. And it's a book that, that talks a lot about the history of racial injustice in America and the church's complicity in it. And I think, I really believe that and think that it'll be a good place for a lot of us to begin to take steps toward doing justice and loving kindness by learning and listening. And so I'm going to send an email out later today uh, for you to have some more information about that and actually to be able to sign up to join this group for discussion. Sojourn, we need to acknowledge something, that our country was built on the back of slaves. And we are reaping the consequences of that today because we haven't often acknowledged all of its effects in our world and in our own lives, which leads to my second action item. The first one is listen and learn. The second is repent and lament. Repent and lament. See, once we begin to acknowledge our past as a nation, we should also begin repenting of it in order to do justice and love kindness. I've heard a lot of stories this week, firsthand accounts, and seen multiple people over the last few weeks say things like, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me for my complacency, for my doubt. Forgive me in turn for also my silence. It is inexcusable, and I want to do better. And let me also say to our sojourners, people that are a part of our church, that are members or attenders, that are people of color, thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for bearing with your other brothers and sisters, your white brothers and sisters who maybe haven't asked you questions, who haven't sought to learn, who've been complacent or silent. Please forgive us in that. We want to do better and we want to come together to be unified, to do justice for all people, regardless of where they're from or what they look like. In the midst of our repentance, in the midst of your repentance, let's also remember that God calls us to weep with those who weep. So let's lament together and cry out in prayer together. How long, O oh Lord, we come together in the midst of our repentance to also lament and pray and plead with God to bring about change in our country, asking him to do what only he can do in and through his people. The third thing and our final action item I want to call you to is short, but not insignificant. So listen and learn, repent and lament. And the last thing is speak up, speak out and get involved. Speak up, speak out, and get involved in larger movements of racial justice. A great place to begin would be to look up and familiarize yourself with the work of the AND campaign, A-N-D, the AND campaign, and the Equal Justice Initiative. Both are doing great work in our community, great work in the areas of, of reform and change and politics and all of those different things but are also upholding biblical values of justice and loving kindness together. So look those up and get involved in those things. Listen, for racial justice to come in our country and in our community, for real love and real kindness and mercy to be shown, it's going to require you to humble yourself. 
that's going to require you to humble yourself to say, I don't know, but I need to know. I, I don't know, but I want to know and I need to learn. It's going to require you along the way to give things up. But you know what? That's the nature of the outworking of the gospel in our lives. We are called to consider others' needs as more important than our own. Jesus displayed that for us. He modeled that for us by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, laying down his life for our redemption. And so we can do the same thing, humbling ourselves, considering the needs of others more important than our own. So my hope for you and for us is that we will be faithful to what God has called us to as an overflow of the gospel in our lives to love God and love others by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. Sojourn, there is so much more to be said that we could talk again about this for hours and hours. So much more work to be done to bring about true racial justice in our country. But I'm hopeful Something feels different right now. Something feels different about this time, and I hope that's the case. As Amos chapter 5 verse 24 says, Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Yes, Lord, make it so in this place. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we plead and pray, God, would you help us as a community to do what you've called us to do. Help us as Sojourn Church to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you. God, we pray that you would empower us to do the work you've called us to, but that that would begin. We pray, God, with forgiveness. God, forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us if we've had racial, racist uh, thoughts or feelings or actions. Any of us, God, we pray that you'd forgive us. And God, we pray that you would change our hearts. Lead us, God, to bring about justice in our communities. Lead us, God, and use us, God, to bring about change in our communities. Not some uh, weird justice, but a biblically rooted justice that's rooted in treating people fairly and rightly because they are created in your image and seeing them as beautiful and valuable and equal. God, I pray that you would empower our church to do that and you would empower the American church to do that. And at this time, God, that you would bring significant change in our world, that the next generation of people, the next generation that we're raising up right now would know only about racism from history books, not from real experiences in life. God, would you do that work? We pray and we plead and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.